Sports are back. Man, I've been waiting months to say that during these pandemic times. Now, as an NBA writer, I know this is a fact because I'm watching games remotely inside the Orlando bubble. I'm reading our guy, Joe Varden, who is inside the bubble on all the ins and outs of the NBA action. I'm watching LeBron James cut through the defense to slam it on the break like he has been for almost 20 years now. I'm watching Giannis Antetokounmpo dominate like he always does. But all across the sporting landscape, sports are back. And here at The Athletic, in my humble opinion, our coverage is better than ever. If you're not with us just yet, we have a deal that you got to jump on 40% off an annual subscription. Don't miss the exclusive in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season. Subscribe now and save. Sign up to see for yourself the creativity, the reporting, the storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. You just got to go to theathletic.com slash NBA show and get 40% off an annual subscription. Sports are back. You do not want to miss the breaking stories on your favorite teams. Again, theathletic.com slash NBA show for 40% off that annual subscription. We hope to see you there. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show, Monday through Friday, on the Athletic Podcast Network. On today's show, we've got basketball and bigger than basketball. First, a great conversation with Bucks Governor Mark Lazary and his son Alex, the team's senior vice president. They were in Orlando recently watching the team. I wanted to know what that was like, wanted to know what they were thinking and feeling about their team, about Giannis, about their uncertain future, their title prospects. They are front and center right now. Really enjoyed talking to Mark and Alex on the front end. A great chat with a guy by the name of Nate Boyer. If you don't know who he is, look him up. Former Green Beret, the man who famously connected with Colin Kaepernick back in 2016 and first suggested to Colin that he might kneel for the national anthem out of respect for the military rather than sitting as he had done so originally. Nate had a pretty pivotal part in this moment in history. And as I watched these games unfold in Orlando and saw all these coaches and players kneeling, I kept thinking to myself, I wonder what it's like to be Nate Boyer and to watch this happen. Sure enough, we were able to connect and he was fantastic. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Sam Tampering. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. To be able to bring uh-huh. people together. What do you do, baby? Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation. Into tampering accusations. And the message to executive in the league is not talking about players on other teams. What did I do? And the charges filed. Impermissible contact. Is right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. <laughs> awkward to even talk about. I can't even mention teams anymore. Actually, what I like to play with Kevin Durant. The trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. Is that right? It's not. I have tamper with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Athletics Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. As always, I'm Sam Amick, NBA writer for The Athletic. Uh, again, I say this every week, had this great run of guests that gets me fired up to have these conversations. This one, though, in particular, is, is certainly a lane of its own and, and a gentleman who was nice enough to come join me on the show, mainly because of the powers of social media. Nate Boyer, former Green Beret, former Texas Longhorn, long snapper, and the man widely known in in pro sports circles for the most part. I mean, you know, beyond Nate, your Seattle Seahawks tenure for the guy who who connected with Colin Kaepernick when it comes to the practice of kneeling during the anthem. And I think a subplot to that situation that gets too often forgotten. and, And I was excited to have you on to talk about how are you, my friend? I'm doing pretty well. You know, I'm here. It's uh, 2020, and uh, it can't get any worse. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) 
Low bar, brother. Low bar. Yeah. No, everything's everything's going relatively well. I'm I'm, I'm healthy. I'm 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 safe, and uh, I'm hopeful for a lot of things in the country. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> Nate, I wanted to ask you specifically, and to tell people kind of how you and I ended up connecting today on the pod. You know, you you fire off a tweet on Saturday that that was all caps. I got it here in front of me. It says, "You do not have to kneel to join the fight for racial equality in this country. You do not have to stand." To love this country and those that fought for it. Damn, y'all, come on. It's been four years. American flag emoji. And, and last I looked this morning, almost 10,000 retweets. So that resonated with me. I retweeted the powers of social media take over from there where, I, you know, you end up following me. I follow you. We connect as, as an aside that maybe we'll have a minute to get into a small world little moment as you and I ended up. You're kind of not from my hometown, but you moved there when you were 14. And, and we actually went to the same high school for a year, which is pretty crazy. Uh, good old Amherst Valley. It is, it is crazy. <laughs> Dude, I had, I had the practice well, jersey on the other day. I still have my high school practice jersey. Did you really? From freshman year. <laughs> and it still fits. And I wore it for a workout the other day. And it's like, it's hanging in there. But anyway. Well, that was the, yeah, I, I played a little JV ball uh, at Amador. Uh, senior year, to be honest with you, without getting into the details, I, I had a lot of stuff going on with the family and personal wise. So I, physically speaking, we didn't share space uh, that senior year because I was doing things at home on the homeschooling front. But um, it, it, that's crazy. And, you know, the part that, that resonated for me, and we talked about this offline a little bit, is that, you know, that's not uh, certainly during one the time when I grew up an incredibly diverse town. It's not. You don't learn about other people's backgrounds all that much. You have to go elsewhere to get that insight and that perspective and that empathy. And you've got that in spades. But that one tweet, tell me as you're sitting on your couch, if you're on you know, the, the treadmill, whatever the heck you're doing, what was that tweet about? Why did you send it? What sparked you? Oh, I, you know, it, it, it's just frustration and seeing people spinning their wheels and continuing to, to, to say the same things. And, and, and mainly it's about this binary way of thinking, you know, and, and a lot of it, in my opinion, is the problems stem from having a two party system that is so everything's one way or everything's the other way, you know, it's blue or it's red. You can't be reasonable is the best way I would put it. I mean, you, you know, I, I call it the radical middle and it's, and it feels like there's just, there's a lot, I know there's a lot of people there, that are like, yeah, maybe they lean lean to the left or lean to the right or whatever. But at the same time, like, I think most people would be like, even if they disagree with, with, for example, calling Kaepernick has said and and worn and done or whatever, they don't disagree with the why. And a lot of them are like, look, I, you know, I, of course I I you know I wish he felt the same amount of pride in the country that I did. And I wish he stood, but like. If he doesn't, and these are the reasons why, like I can understand that, you know, and I think there, I think that's most people, but you just don't hear that. You just don't hear it. And even me, like I forget, you know, and I just continually see this, like, you know, all, we need to just like abolish the police department or we need to black lives matter is like incredibly dangerous or whatever it is. I mean, I'm, I, this is, there's a million different things, but like, it, it's never, it doesn't seem like you were hearing enough people who are who are saying things like look this is truly a problem like r racial inequality is is an issue that we still need to address and, and it's been 400 you know some odd years and it's like uh it, it's definitely better like it's not you know we're not living in in in, in times of uh, enslaving individuals uh but <laughs> there's still a lot of stuff that is uh not right not fair not sort of been handled correctly, um, you know, from, from a systemic 
uh, standpoint, but also like most law enforcement officers, not only are they necessary, they do a really good job and their job is very difficult and nuanced and all that. When the ones that aren't doing well and are not doing it the right way and they're getting, as Colin has stated and many have stated, you know, paid leave uh, when, when they're when they're wrongfully uh, killing people. That's like not OK. We can't we can't. Uh, there's got to be accountability there. You know, and I think that, right. that that's starting to, to sort of change. But anyway, it, it, so it's just this. It's just like people think that, that if you take a knee that you subscribe to like all these things, they just basically generalize and stereotype. And people think the same thing now about if you stand, you know, like they're like, oh, well, then he's this, right. this and that, that and this. And it's just like, oh, my God, people, come on. Yeah, I mean, and that put that uh, on the Spurs, and, and honestly, I think hopefully this helps cut through some of that 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 conversation. Is Greg Popovich decides to stand a, a man with a military background, who essentially, when asked by reporters to to get into it, said that's that's my personal choice, and I don't care to tell you why I and chose Pop, to stand. But Pop nobody is really is a is a uh, he's uh, an actor, really progressive guy. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. So right. go ahead. Sorry. No, and so Pop and Becky Hammond, you know, you know, who's uh, also chose to stand, and so that conversation continues, and, and obviously, I'm sure that's maddening for you. Um, I wonder though to, to update things from 2016 to now. That the two things I kept thinking about were one, you know, what is it like to be Nate Boyer and watch all of this unfold? Because the NBA thing again, in particular, you're now talking Nate about those two games on opening night. It was Jazz, Pelicans, Lakers, Clippers. Then you had. Six games the next day, five games the next day, six more games the next day, kneeling during every single one. That's got to be surreal to watch being you. Also, do you keep in touch at all with Colin? And I kind of wonder if you guys ever circle back on this stuff. Uh, you know what? I, I actually haven't talked to Colin in uh, in a, God, I guess a couple of years. And, uh, and not, okay. for any, not for any bad reason or anything like that. It's just... <laughs> you got a lot going on and you know, a lot of, a lot of, I think a lot of people in his ear and he's got a, it's just like, I, and we don't agree on everything either, which is totally fine. Which is just, just different paths. Yeah. I mean, I think over the course of the four years and uh, you know, I, I would never speak for him and I have, I have no idea what his feelings on this, but like for me, the fact that I think it's, I think it's cool that this kneeling has sparked such conversation but I'm also very frustrated that the idea of the, of, of the gesture of kneeling seems to be the most important thing in the conversation over and over and over. Like that is what always steals the headline. Um, maybe because it's visual and very like, you know, and can be seen as, I mean, it's very divisive because it's like, right. it's during this, you know, it's during the national anthem, which is like, Oh, everybody should, you know, should stand and respect the country national anthem. But then there's a lot of people that are like, well, regardless of the country, that song, I don't even feel that that song, is very representative of, uh, of something I believe in as far as this nation. So like, it's incredibly, that's incredibly nuanced in its own, right? It is. And you've written about that. I have that in front of me real quick to, to fill the gaps in for the listeners. I have that in front of me. I'll, let me read it real quick, Nate. Um, this is from the army times column that you wrote in 2016. And again, the one that, that compelled, uh, Colin Kaepernick's publicist to reach out to you. And you met with him and, and Eric Reed in San Diego and, and kind of the rest is history. Literally, you wrote, I hate the third verse of our national anthem, but thankfully we don't sing that verse anymore. Now, that, of course, is the verse that, that seems to celebrate slavery. Um, I hate that at times I feel guilty for being white. In uh, 2004, I witnessed genocide firsthand in the Darfur region of Sudan. 
the fact that hate and oppression still exists at that level in our world really hurts me. Um, and you share the experience from there. And I certainly am not going to speak for you, but reading everything I've read about you, am I accurate in saying that, that that Darfur experience seems to really have, you know, been, you know, if you had to pick one experience that that shaped the way you saw the world through, when it comes to racial equality and, and when it comes to having a macro view that even goes beyond this country? I mean, is that the thing that that kind of puts you down this road? It was the thing that completely shifted my entire life, first of right. all. And not that I didn't, not that I was like, I was, this is, this is the narrative people would love to tell because it's, you know, it's just, I guess it's simpler to wrap my mind around. I don't know. It's not like I was racist before and I went there and now I'm this, uh, this person that uh, embraces people of color and, and that struggle, like not at all. For me, it was just this um, lack of uh, of even an understanding that that something like that existed, something at that level, uh, that type of oppression. I mean, four hundred thousand people being murdered, you know, simply because of a, a slightly different, different, yeah, right. different religion, different Ethnic shade, cleansing. Of, exactly, a different shade of of skin tone, um, you know, a different tribe, whatever. I couldn't believe it, and uh, and then I saw it, and I was like, this is very real. So. It, it shifted for me. I mean, it was the reason I, like I said, I joined the military and the reason I joined the army special forces is because that motto de oppresso libera, which means to free the oppressed, uh, really spoke to me. Um, but also it was this idea of working by, with, and through indigenous people. When you go to, to places around the world, I mean, that is the, that is the United States army special forces mission. But it, you know, for me, it, it, it started there. So it started at this, like at this extreme level, of saying like, wow, I mean, like this, this is 2004 and this is happening in the world. And then sort of working backwards and, and learning about and thinking about, um, things that happened in our country, things that I never would have seen because I just, in my mind, what you, what you learn in school, you know, like I don't see, I mean, I, I, I hang out with, with people that are Hispanic and black and, you know, all Asian, it doesn't matter. Like it, it, you know, I, I, not that I don't see color. Of course, I see color, but like it, it, it I never feel like th- there's this. Uh, I, like I, 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 I like to think that I judge human beings on the way that they look at me and the way that uh, I, I feel comfortable around them. Do I trust this person? Do I, uh, you know, do they seem like a stand-up individual? But at the same time, like also realizing that there's little things, there's tiny things that I don't even notice that I do little, little judgments or, you know, stereotypes that I may make or assumptions or whatever. I may handle a situation differently with someone of color than someone that's white or talk to them differently and and not even thinking that I'm not even intentionally doing it, just, just doing that because that's the way I've been conditioned. So then, you know, you start to learn about those things and see those things. Then you start to have conversations with people and actually when they feel comfortable being vulnerable, vulnerable about their past and, and their present, about things that, that upset them. Guys I served with in the military for a long time, right? Who go on to work in law enforcement, who still have to have conversations with their children about the way that you must act around cops of all color, right? The way you must act around cops, because if you don't, because of the way you look, you have a greater risk uh, of, of something bad happening, you know, especially if you, if you, if you, if it looks like you're trying to resist anything or whatever, even if you did nothing wrong, this is what you absolutely have to do. And my right. parents never had a, had to have a conversation like that with me, but right. I never would, I never even thought about those things, you know, and it just takes time. And, you know, and, and it was through moments like 
the one Colin Kaepernick chose to, to, to utilize during that anthem that, yes, it upset a lot of people. Yes, it hurt me. It hurts lots of people, whatever. If that's the breakthrough it takes to really listen and then fix the thing that need to be fixed in this country, I can deal with that. I got thick skin. I mean, I, I was in the military and, and I think that's a good message and lesson for anybody that served. It's all wound up about this thing. You know, you fought when you took the oath. It was to defend the Constitution, which includes the First Amendment, which is freedom of speech, freedom of expression. It doesn't mean you have to like the protests or agree with the protests or whatever. But that's what you fought for. You fought for those rights. Right. And we've got we're supposed to have thick skin. We're tough. They taught us to suck it up and drive on. So if we're tough, if we're truly tough, then like it's OK. We might get our feelings hurt once in a while. All right. But understand why and really listen and really try to learn. And it's don't just listen to one person. Don't just listen to what Colin Kaepernick says. Listen to what all these people are saying, because a lot of them have varying uh, viewpoints and different opinions of how we move that conversation forward, how we fix things. You know, it's not just one singular thought or, or, or message or reason. There's a lot of things. So, like, let's just work together and figure these things out because I, I guarantee all those people that are – well, not all of them. Most of those people that are upset and hurt, they want their country to be better. They want to be the greatest country in the world. They want to strive for exceptionalism like, you know, uh, like America always seems to do. And, like, that's, that's, what, that's what it's all about for me. So, like, let's, let's figure it out. Let's fix things, you know. When things are broken in the military, yeah, we bitch about it, you know. Uh, but then we, 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 we rally and we come together and we're like, all right, this is the issue. This sucks. What can we do to fix it? And then we right. fix it. So let's do that. So the spirit of that conversation that you just laid out so well, uh, I certainly assume was at the heart of your conversation with Colin in San Diego. I was hoping that you could paint that picture a little bit for the listeners, because, again, all I know is that, you know, you wrote what you wrote. The publicist reaches out. I believe there was a fairly uh, lengthy car ride in between for you to get down to San Diego. I, I don't know if you were in L.A. at the time, but where did you all meet? How much time did you spend together? What kind of time? Again, I think, you know, uh, Eric Reed was there as well, uh, because that was the genesis of this entire situation. Just, you know, what can you share about that? Yeah. Uh, so it was, you know, I think it was the second game he'd sat or it was at least it was after the first game. The first time that uh, the media had reported on it, and I believe Steve Weiss broke the story from NFL Network and as to why he was Colin was sitting. And then he did that interview. And I encourage anybody to listen to that interview. I wrote this open letter sort of explaining. Yeah. Explaining my uh, my experience uh, and, 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 and why I feel the way I feel about those symbols. But also saying, look, I don't know what it's like to be you or any person of color for that matter. And, and it would be ignorant for um, someone like me to say, I know what it's like to walk a day in a, in a, in a black man's, you know, in a, in a day in Colin Kaepernick's cleats, just as ignorant sure. as if, as if he were to say, Oh, you know, well, I know what war is like, you know, I know what combat's like because of this, right, right. you know? And, and, uh, is this at the team hotel or where y'all at? Yeah. So that, well, that was still, <clears throat> that was still in the letter. So then his, yeah, his publicist reached out. I ended up going down there, took an Uber, <laughs> and right. uh, it, it was a lengthy car ride. It was about three or three hours to get down there because I had to fly out from San Diego later that night to go to back to out to Austin, Texas. We met in the lobby of the team hotel. Eric Reed came down and joined us. And man, we just like we talked about our backgrounds. We talked about growing up in, you know, growing California. And uh, I mean, we laughed about stuff. Uh, it, we were both nervous for sure. Um, I think Eric was a little bit too, even he joined us kind of midway through some of the conversation, but, um, 
you know, we were. Uh, we, Why I, were you I, nervous? Right. I mean, I could guess, but you tell me. Well, just because it's such a, it was like the, the first of all, the election was in two months. You know, it's Team Hillary versus Team Trump, and uh, you know, I mean, not that this one's any less divisive, but that one was even more. I think because they were both super. Uh, you know, not that Joe Biden's not, but I guess more outspoken. And it was like, it was just, uh, it was the most divisive time I could remember in history. You know, it was 15 years after the, after 9-11 and, and the day after 9-11 was like the most uniting time that I remember. Right. And, uh, and so, and he just sort of out of the blue kind of point blank asked me, <laughs> you know, do you think there's another way I could protest that won't offend people in the military. That definitely, I mean, I, I just remember like I, you know, immediately you know, broke out in a cold sweat, you know, and was like kind of nervous because I had no idea he was going to ask me something like that. And just thinking like, man, not, and not even knowing how much it would blow up, but just thinking that, that, that this, uh, that this man's actually asking me if he, what he thinks, what I think he should do, <laughs> you know, I guess that right. night. And it's right. military appreciation night down in San Diego. You know, they had a flyover, Navy SEALs jumping in the stadium. And a, there was an African, African-American uh, sailor who was going to sing the national anthem, like this whole deal. And San Diego is a very military town, you know. Yep, yep. And yeah, uh, actually served there in the Navy. There you go. Uh, well, I appreciate his service. Um, sure. Yeah. So it was like uh, I just all those things ran through my head super quick. And I just was like, oh, man, like, I, you know, OK, well, let me just think for two seconds. And I just thought, you know, I said, Colin, first of all, man, I think the most important thing to me is being alongside your teammates. I think when you go out on the field, you're shoulder to shoulder on that line of scrimmage, you know, across from the other guys. And you're doing what you can as a unit together to make the mission, you know, to win. And uh, regardless of backgrounds and opinions and politics and skin colors and all that, you know, you, you uh you, you put it aside and work together and that's it. And uh, you don't all agree on everything and you don't all even like each other, but you find a way to make it happen and you just do it. And we do the same thing in the military. So I think that that's the most, most important thing. And he agreed. He's like, yeah, I, I think, I think you're right. I think that is important. And I, and uh, I said, well, then I think the only option that you really have that makes sense, if you're committed to not standing would be to take a knee. Um, and uh, as far as I'm concerned, I, I can't think of a, of a, of a time that taking a knee or kneeling would, you know, is seen as really disrespectful. I mean, people take a knee to pray and propose to their spouse. And, uh, when, uh, players on the hurt or sorry, when a player on the field is hurt, you know, all the other players take a knee uh, out of respect right. until he's better. And then when, uh, you know, when I go to Arlington to visit my buddy, Brad, when I, every time I go to his, uh, headstone, you know, I, I, I kneel down in front of it and like spend a few moments and hang out. And, uh, it's just a respectful gesture. And he agreed. Wow. And, and I told him I'd stand next to him if he uh, if he would take a knee that night. And so, you know, he did. And I stood next to him. And some people in the crowd booed when the anthem played. And that, to me, is a hundred million times more disrespectful than anybody kneeling ever. Um, and just like that hurt me way more than uh, than than, you know, than somebody not standing with their hand on their heart. Why? Um, because it's it, it's like. There's a still a, there's still an element of reverence and respect from that kneeling. I mean, if you watch whether it's Colin or anybody else, I have not seen a player, and maybe I'm wrong, but I haven't seen a player that takes is taking a knee that isn't facing the same 
you know, somewhat at least the same direction as the guys on the sideline. Um, they're taking that moment and they are making it about this, the flag and the song, even though they, they, they don't aren't necessarily on board with the way the country's heading, but they're like giving it that, you know, they're giving it that, that respect. Like this is, this is what this is about. When somebody's booing, they're making it about the player on the sideline that's kneeling. They don't care about, they're not thinking about, uh, the, the, the anthem and, and the song. They're not giving it, they're not giving it, uh, uh you know, an, an element of respect. I think it's just like, it's all about boo, F you, Colin Kaepernick, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, dude, the, the anthem is playing right now. You realize that, right? right, and, you're, right, right. and that's what you're upset about. So, that, and that's just my opinion. You know, there's plenty of people that feel disrespected by it, and they have a right to feel disrespected, I guess, you know, by, by, by him doing that. But if they understand that that's not the intention, at least initially, after our conversation four years ago, and many of the players that are in the league now and in the various leagues, when you talk to them, you know, they all say it's it's not even a really about the flag or the anthem. It's just this is the time. And so, you know, this is a time that's going to garner that attention. And it is something it, it is about our country. You know, it's about our country doing better. It's about uh, system changing and holding people accountable where need be and and uh, and striving towards true uh, equality, you know, and social justice. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that that's a. Uh, that, that's the important message here, you know, beyond uh, everything is just the is just the why. And for us to just relax a little bit and to, t- to toughen up a little bit, you know, like it's it, right. I mean, we, we, we can handle it. You know what I mean? We can handle it. But we're just uh, we're so incredibly uh, sensitive. We're just so hypersensitive as a country uh, these days. And it's uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it's tearing us apart. Yeah, sadly, I agree with you, my friend. Um, hey, time is of the essence. I, I don't. I got to get you out of here, and I hate to give this short shrift, but but to finish on this note, Nate, it's pretty incredible that I think are you, you thirty nine years old? You're coming up strong on good old four zero here. <laughs> when, when's the birthday? When's the official uh, January? All right. Well, good luck. You'll be you'll be with me soon. But to be 39 years old and to have already had the journey you've had is just, it's something else. And you got a long ways to go. Tell people real quickly, because I know you got to go, about what's next, what you're doing. I know merging vets and players, and that's vetsandplayers.org, is something that's real important to you. To whatever degree you can share, I think you got some some Hollywood stuff that's tied into that that you're working on. Just what's next for Nate Boyer? Yeah, the uh, merging vets and players as you said, vetsandplayers.org. We bring together combat vets and former professional athletes and help them find purpose and service and that new identity and team uh, when the uniform comes off. Both of those professions, granted, we would never compare combat to you know playing a game. I mean, the battlefield and the ball field are very different. We understand that. But the locker rooms are very similar. And the struggle with transition is very similar. And being in your 20s and 30s and feeling like I'll never be great again is very similar. Sure. Um, and so, you know, that's what we're about. We're about tackling that transition together. And so I, over the last couple of years, I've been with, with a buddy of mine who lives in Britain, uh, I should say Wales, who's, who was in the British military. Uh, we developed this story, developed this, uh, this screenplay about this guy, you know, a true backstory about a veteran, a Marine veteran living in a homeless shelter with a bunch of other uh, young veterans in, in East Hollywood. They, they saw the you know some of the toughest stuff overseas, and they've lost a lot of brothers to suicide and whatnot. And they come back home, and transitioning can be really tough. And so it's focused on one of those characters that lives there, and a former NFL player, first year out of the league, who had a solid career, but feels like he 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 not only peaked, but he you know he never lived up to what he could have. 
And these guys are going through that same thing that the, the veteran and the athlete are going through the same transition struggles, the same stuff on paper. They got nothing in common. They're different skin colors and socioeconomic classes and all this stuff. But they're going through the same thing. And uh, they find this brotherhood together to help them through those struggles. And so that move that's coming up like I'm <laughs> we're even through all this, this, you know, we're we're we're. Uh, we're following all the COVID protocols we need to do, but uh, coming up in the next month or two, we're going to start cameras rolling on the, on the MVP movie. And wow. uh, it's cool that we have so many veterans involved and, uh, and a lot of, the, a lot of athletes and a lot of guys that walk through our doors and actually share these stories are going to be, uh, you know, involved. A lot of people playing themselves and whatnot. It'll be a very unique, you know, it's not a documentary, but it'll feel like it in a lot of ways. And uh, so I'm, I'm stoked on that. that. That's a really exciting thing, but, but MVP, uh, has changed my life. I'm, I'm so blessed to, to be able to, to co-found it with Jay Glazer. Um, and Jay's there we heart go. for the mil- Jay's heart for the military and heart, yep. uh, for these guys that are, you know, in the locker rooms that are struggling is huge. And, uh, he's helped me in, in, in so many ways, uh, to get through my own struggles and I'm continuing to, to battle today. And it's, uh, uh, it doesn't just go away. You know, it's not something that you just, you just conquer. It's always there, but it's like, how do you manage it? How am I getting up every day? How am I being there for the rest of my team? How am I fighting for the man on my left and right? Just like I did in the military, just like I did on the ball field. How am I doing that? Uh, when the uniform comes off, that's what it's all about. I love it, man. That's good stuff. We'll have you back on the show. And when you guys go live with that and, and maybe try to pump that, that's fantastic. Nate Boyer can't thank you enough. I know you got to run. You're a wanted man. Thank you, brother. And thank you for your service. With the military and honestly, the service you've been doing ever since, it's, I think it's very meaningful stuff. Thank you. I appreciate you, brother. Thanks for having me. All right, Nate. Be good. God bless America. We are here with Mark Lazary, governor of the Milwaukee Bucks, his son, Alex uh, Lazary, senior vice president of the Bucks. Gentlemen, how are you? Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having us. Of course. This is uh, this is going to be fun because we've talked hoops a decent amount in the past. You guys were very gracious and helpful with me when I had a rare trip to Milwaukee last season, getting to know you a little bit more during that trip. Uh, but my goodness, has the world changed ever since? You spent the last few days, and and Mark, out of uh, seniority, I'll start with you, pops. But um, you last couple days <laughs> at the bubble here, and and your Bucks had a uh, a game against the Celtics. That it turned out pretty well. Uh, it was honestly a, a great day of action in general that day, and 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 you guys get that W. And I, I don't believe you end up watching that Rockets game in person. But before I throw it to you for the listeners, you got to know how the viewing experience is is being handled uh, for governors and alternate governors, and then one high ranking member of the front offices for NBA teams are allowed to go view these games in what's essentially considered tier two. Uh, you're not in the bubble, so to speak. You're not going to hotels. You're not interacting with players and staff, but you get to go to these games. Uh, Mark, you know, when you first heard all the protocols and the regulations here, where was your head at? Why did you make that choice to go see your squad and, and just kind of what was it like? There's a lot of protocols. I mean, there's a ton of protocols. Right. But I think for us, I went down there. Xander Alexander came with me. Wes went also, and so did Jamie. So we all went down, and then the ownership of the Celtics also went. You know, we flew down with uh, CPAC Liuta, and I think Wick flew down with Wes. You know, the main reason we really went is we wanted to sort of give everybody, at least our players, to show them that we support them, that 
especially when they were starting the first game, and we wanted to be down there. It's interesting, you know, when you you got to take a test before you go down, and then once you're there, you got the minute you land and you get to the hotel, you got to take another test. And that's got to be negative. You know, so that was Friday when we got there. So you've got to test negative before you can even go to the game. Okay. And then you go and you're, um, you know, you go into, you come in through a separate entrance. You end up being um, in a viewing area. I mean, and these are small stadiums, by the way. I think they see two, 3,000 folks uh, max. And I think then, you know, you're in this viewing area and there's plexiglass all around you and you've got to wear a mask the whole time. So the NBA is pretty serious about making sure no one gets hurt um, and no one gets sick. I, th- I thought it was a pretty unique experience. We went to our game and then we went to a bunch of other games just to sort of see, you know, some of the other teams and, I think it was pretty unique. Well, Alex, that's, that's a perfect segue. Uh, I, have, I have sources close to the Bucks organization, Alex, that tell me that, that you might have described this whole experience as, as the greatest AAU tournament you've ever seen. And, am I accurate about that? And, uh, <laughs> and, and and what did you see out there? Yeah, I mean, for, for me, you know, this was uh, I was like being a little kid in a candy store. I mean, I just got to go from uh, game to game and um, just all day watch basketball, which uh, I would have gotten, you know, I would have done anyway at, you know, home on TV, but you know, just being able to, after going, you know, months without any sort of live basketball action and then being able to, uh, you know, kind of go between arenas and, and watch, you know, the guys playing live was great to just be there. And I thought what was, what was really cool was how the NBA is still continuing some of the game entertainment and making sure that it's not dead for the players on the court. I mean, I thought that was something that you know, when, when you think of all the safety precautions the NBA has, has thought through and taken into account, in addition, they're also thinking through, okay, how do we make this as realistic for the players as possible? I think you can, you know, for, for them down there, it at least looked like and still felt like you still kind of had that same in-game ops and intensity um, that you would feel if you were in a stadium. You can only glean so much from your couch, right? And, and I haven't been out there yet. I, I am headed that way on August 20th, and I'll be handling the, the back three rounds of the playoffs, and certainly your squad plans on being a, a major part of that action. But you talk about the entertainment stuff, Alex. What, you know, pick one or two things for me that, that jumped out at you that you thought worked well. We've seen the, the fans on the boards that are basically, you know, kind of a, a cumulative a Zoom call type deal. You know, the, the piped in noise has kind of been met with mixed reviews, but a lot of different ideas the league has tried. Which ones did you feel like landed pretty well? Yeah, so you don't actually really, I, I didn't really piped in crowd noise when you were there i've noticed it more on tv so i don't okay. think they were piping in crowd noise in the arena but you get the music going on you know the some teams do you know like you know let's go bucks or you know let's go heat you know whoever's the home team the video boards are continuing to you know they show like the bucks graphics the entire time i think the the zoom call the the virtual fans are are interesting I, I would be curious to know how often the, the you know and how much the players actually like are looking and noticing it. Um, I know Tatum I think said that he noticed his son there. You know I, I'd be I'd be curious on you know how much the players are kind of seeing and noticing that. What I'm kind of seeing and what I felt and what I thought was nice was, you know I do think that they are able to add some semblance of okay, this makes it somewhat like a Bucks home game. So you know when Giannis scores, the announcer is excited. And then when the other team scores, it's Jason Tatum. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I think you get some semblance of that. And, you know, I know we all, we all had a good time, especially with the Celtics owners there, because 
you know, there's obviously no fans or anything and um, they're still trying to make it a home game. And so, you know, they would score. It would be like Jalen Brown. And, you know, everyone would kind of get a good chuckle. <laughs> well, and then let's go from there. So, Mark, um, I've heard a few things about the area where you guys are sitting. And I got a text from a GM the other day that was cracking up about the fact that the one and only Steve Ballmer, apparently, even when the TV cameras aren't locked in on him, it's it's not for theater that he's as passionate as he is, that, that he was just going bonkers at different points of, of his team's game. How far away are you guys from the action? You know, does it feel disconnected? We all know you are used to this kind of this first row, front row experience in life with good reason. You got a lot of cash on the line here, but uh, how far out are you? And, and just, you know, the, the viewing experience, what do you think? I thought the viewing experience was great. Um, you're not that far. You're, you know, think of it that you're, again, it's a small gym. So think of it that you're in the 10th row or 10th to 15th row max. And so I think the the players can definitely hear you. I mean, we were we went to the game. Which one was it? I think it was the Pelicans and the Clippers. Was that the game, Xander? Yeah. Uh, and yeah, you could hear Steve. I mean, we went to watch that, and Steve is screaming the whole time. He's very passionate about his teams. I think when we were, you know, same thing for us. We were. It's kind of weird when you're going there and you go there with the owners of the Celtics. So when we would score, we'd go, yes, you know, nice shot. We'd scream out, yes, Giannis or Chris, great shot. Right. And then when they would score, you know, it's sort of we're literally sitting right next to each other. And you're sort of dueling, uh, dueling fans. Right. Yeah, it's um, I, I think you what, what's actually interesting is the rest of the people who are there. So if you sort of think about it. You've got the benches, so the benches obviously are pretty excited, you know, for you know when uh, teammate scores. But the other people who are watching are other GMs, you know, maybe some players, and you know they're not they're not screaming or cheering, you know, they'll they'll clap or something. But I think the the real noise was coming, you know, from whatever owners are there. You know, it's it's actually a pretty interesting experience. Is there is there pressure to, uh, I don't know how vocal you are during a normal game, but when you've got 17,000 passionate Buck fans at your back, then you don't necessarily need to, to be the loudest guy in the room. Is there, you know, are you, are you getting outside of your normal rooting character because you're one of the few voices in the building? No, I think, well, I'm pretty, um, I'm pretty vocal with whether there's 17,000 <laughs> people behind me or not. The the part that you miss is you're you're used to yelling at the refs a lot, and I don't think um, I think <laughs> here uh, you know you don't see them running back and forth right by you when you're sitting in the sure you know in the front row. So are you uh, still trying though, or are you, are you giving up? No, you're actually more respectful. I think <laughs> I think in this you're 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 more respectful about it. Um, I think you're more just cheering on your team and trying to you know, show support for what everybody's doing down there. Good stuff. Alex, um, let's talk hoops. And, and your squad was dominant all year long. And, you know, March 11th comes and everything changes. And and honestly, Mark, you're, you're on my short list of people that, that from the very beginning was pretty adamant that you had optimism that the league would be able to pull this off. And in the beginning, as you know, there was a lot of folks that definitely didn't agree with you. And nonetheless, here we are. And it's going real well. So, but Alex... You know, your squad comes out, they take care of Boston, and then I know you didn't go to that Rockets game last night, but, man, that was an interesting game. You're talking about this clash of styles, Houston being all in on its small ball and and tying the NBA record for threes attempted in regulation, obviously essentially just trying to, to, to 
take that angle uh, and, and the idea that you guys are so fantastic at rim protection. Uh, but if you know some threes are going to be available and a squad like the Rockets, they fired away and they got the bestie in the end from that game, but more so bigger picture. Uh, like, what did you think of the quality of play? How are you feeling about the the I guess the unity within your group, meaning like you take three months off these guys, they, they had kind of mentally disconnected from one each other and uh, one another. And and I'm curious how that process is like. What's your vibe with with your Buck squad right now? Yeah, what's what I think is great about our squad is, you know, I, I don't actually think they ever really disconnected from each other. Okay. Um, I think there was always a feeling that if we were able to um, get a season going again, that we were going to, you know, that the hope was always to try to finish the season. And so I think, you know, from ownership to horse to Bud to, you know, Giannis and Chris kind of really ensuring and taking a leadership role to ensure that kind of everyone, you know, stayed in touch, stayed together, continued to talk and, and keep that, you know, doing Zoom calls and keep that familiarity. And, you know, we're such a close knit group. I mean, you can see it just in the way and how much our guys during the season, just you know, how they cheer for each other, how much they love being with each other, um, going through the adversity we went through last season, and then with kind of that chip on our shoulder this season to, you know, to try to, you know, kind of prove all those doubters wrong. And so I think that's always kind of just been the driving force and the driving goal. And I think one of the most interesting parts about this is you really hear the benches a lot more um, when you're there and you see how amped up and excited the benches get um, you know, for plays. And I think you can tell a lot about teams' chemistry and, and how they're doing based on kind of how the, the bench is reacting uh, to the gameplay. Um, those are really the fans that are there um, when they're not in are the, are the people on the bench. So right. I think we've always kind of been close. You know, I think the gameplay has actually been really good all across the league. I think it's been really strong. I think there was a, you know, uh, a, probably a worry that it might not have, you know, it was going to come out and be sloppy early. And I think those three scrimmages really helped. And like at the end of the day, these guys are professionals. Um, and, you know, they don't forget how to play basketball after three months. You've got all the best teams out there. Um, and I think that's helping out with also the level of competition as well. Mark, I was going to say, one of the things I like about you guys is that it's pretty apparent that, that you enjoy the game. And, you know, I know that sounds like a, an obvious assumption when it comes to being an owner of an NBA team. But I think there's some folks that are, it's an investment and the passion isn't necessarily what it might be in other places. Uh, how much did you just miss seeing your guys hooping and seeing Giannis dominate and, and Chris? I, you know, every time I see Chris play well, I think I put myself in, in your guys' shoes from the standpoint of, you know, when you made that tremendous commitment to him, five years, $197 million, I believe, that, you know, there's a ton of scrutiny, a lot of folks thinking it was an overpay. And here he is with a, basically a 50, 40, 90 season. Uh, and, and the last couple of games, really, two games ago, he struggled, but last night showing what he can do. Uh, just how much did you miss all of it during this time away? I miss it a lot. I really did. I miss I miss seeing the guys. I miss talking to them. I think it's the same for everybody. I mean, I think the players absolutely miss playing. They really love, you know, I think they love the season. They love uh, doing what they're doing. I think they want to win a championship. So I think for everybody, it was pretty important. I think I think you'll see, you know, over the course of – the next couple of weeks, you're going to see the play getting better. People are getting into better shape. Um, they're getting used to the speed of the NBA again. And I think you're just, you're, it's actually good. It's ramping up. You know, at the end of the day, really what you're seeing is Adam did, you know, and the NBA did an absolutely phenomenal job of getting this thing done. I mean, it really is because you're seeing everything going on with baseball. You're seeing it with football. I mean, it's, 
you know, the the players feel very safe. They feel like everything is working out, you know, as well as they thought. Um, so I I think it couldn't have gone better. I know I was a big believer that it was going to get done, but a lot of that was really Adam and, you know, and the people at the NBA, just how great a job they did in making sure that their priority was really the safety of the players. And I think the players now have all bought in on it. You know, from what I'm hearing from our GM and from our coach is, you know, I think at the beginning it was hard for people to constantly be, be wearing masks. and But now I think everybody is on board with everything and they're seeing that it's actually worked out very well. So, so far, so good. No, I agree completely. For both of you guys, this is, let's take a blood pressure test here. And, and I don't say that lightly. I, this is what you do. It's what you're passionate about. Again, you got a lot of cash in the game, but, but it's sports. And that means that, you know, we all watch and, and, you know, in the way that we do. And it's been, I think, 14 months since your group had a pretty painful finish to a season that, that you know, where you were certainly hoping to be holding the trophy up at the end. And the way it ended with Toronto and the way that you guys have evolved since then, you know, with, with Mike Budenholzer, I think changing his approach yet again in, in nuanced ways and even better this year, the group continues to come together. You dominate all year, but now here we are again on the eve of the playoffs getting rolling where, you know, it's, you know, it's welcome to pro sports and the idea that you either get it done or you don't. And, and you guys are, are uh, I'm sure, just sitting here on the edge of your seat. Like, are you able to enjoy the whole journey or are you getting more and more kind of angst filled as you get closer to these games that matter so much more now? No, not at all. I love the journey. I mean, that's what makes sports so fun. Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, if we play our game, um, we should win. I mean, it's, you know, if you sort of think about what happened in last night's game, you know, as long as we keep playing our game, we're going to do well. You know, yesterday we made a few mistakes uh, towards the end, and that's fine. And by the way, give credit to Houston. I mean, they did a great job. They made their shots. They did, um, you know, they did everything they were supposed to do. They made all their foul shots. I think for us, if we're playing our game, it's hard for somebody to beat us um, four out of seven. So, you know, and at the end of the day, um, I think we have the best player in the NBA. I mean, I think Giannis is the guy. So I'd rather, um, you know, I'd rather have the best player in the NBA on my team. Um, I think Chris is phenomenal. I think Bled. You know, we didn't have blood. We didn't end up having Pat. They're coming back uh, for the game tomorrow um, because they had tested, you know, they had tested positive. And, you know, and then you know, you've got to have two negative tests so they couldn't come down with the team. Right. Um, but they've been practicing. Everything's going well. Yeah, I think everybody's pretty pretty confident about our ability. And, you know, if we do what we're supposed to do, we should win. Even the, the stuff you just hit on, Mark, and the idea, this goes well beyond the Bucks. This is for all 22 teams. Um, the idea that this environment is so unprecedented that roster-wise you might be dealing with something like losing an Eric Bledsoe and a Pat Connaughton for those types of reasons, having to adjust if it was even a player of greater stature that, that hurts your team even more if he's gone. This The level of uncertainty is off the charts. Does that, like, do you just kind of have to shrug your shoulders and say it is what it is and, and we hope we come out on, you know, the end of this thing? On top, uh, or how do you kind of process, uh, you know, that that element? Look, I think that's a risk. It's uh, it's a risk of somebody getting hurt. It's the same thing. I mean, the way we look at it is, um, if everybody is focused and people do what they're supposed to do, they're 
you know, they're not going to catch anything. And what's been clear is that for players who do test positive, they're pretty much uh, asymptomatic. So, you know, within, you know, within a week, um, it's where it gets out of their system and they're able to have a couple negative tests. But it's like somebody spraying an ankle. I mean, it's another thing you're going to have to deal with. And the teams that deal with it the best, which is, you know, that follow all the protocols. And that that's really what a lot of this is going to be. It, it's going to be, are you going to follow the protocols? The, the goal of the Milwaukee Bucks today is to win a championship. So I would tell you everybody on that team is very focused on making sure that people stay healthy because that is a risk. And But that's a risk you can control. Sure. Or at least you believe you can control, you know, sort of landing on somebody's foot, um, twisting an ankle or, you know, that that's an injury which will happen during a game. But this, this is something that we should be able to control as long as everybody's following protocols. Alex, you, uh, you watch this team as closely as anybody. you got a good basketball mind. How specifically is your guys' group different, do you think, than this time at the end of last season? And I'm assuming you, like your dad, think that you guys can pull this thing off and be the champions. And if, that's, you know, uh, if that is the case, just why? How, just what's different now? from before because we see a lot of the same names a lot of the same faces but there's been growth here and and you're monitoring that every single day what do you see there yeah i I think a lot of people forget it you know when when bud came in last year that's the first year we had with this system and that's he um we had never been out of the first round before last year right you know since 2000 i think one so you know it's rare that you get a team that just kind of blows through and wins a championship like that um, you know, you almost always see a team have to go through some sort of adversity um, and kind of get their way out. And I think that's what last year was. And I think we learned a lot from last year. You know, I think what's different about this year's team is we're, we're, we're a year older. We're another year into the system. I think we're, we're better than we were last year. And I think all the advanced stats and the numbers show it. Um, and I think you also just have to look at the improvement of our guys. I mean, Chris has become an all-NBA player. Giannis, you know, having an even better season than he had last year, which um, was kind of unbelievable. Led, Brooke, you know, are both all NBA defensive players. Now, I, I think when you look at the rounding out of our team um, and the additions of, you know, guys like like Robin Lopez, Wes Matthews, um, I, I, I think you're just looking at a more dynamic and a stronger team that now knows what it what it takes to win and knows what it's going to take to you know, what happens in the Eastern Conference Finals when, you know, teams start to clamp down and, you know, the whistle gets a little bit tighter. And so, you know, I, I think the biggest difference between this team, this year's team and last year's team is the experience. Um, and that's something you can't discount. Uh, well, and, I think that's a, that's a good thing. Yeah, and in between there, again, you've got this, this pandemic that created this three- to four-month hole that messes with everybody's routines, changes everybody's schedules. You know, um, Giannis being the epicenter of everything you guys do, what can you share about the way he handled that stretch? Because he now has been, uh, you know, kind of exposed. I say that lightheartedly when it comes to Mr. Uh, I didn't have a hoop and, and that idea that he wasn't actually hooping, which, you know, we all should have known better. How did he handle the time away? You, you talked about the team not being disconnected. Uh, you know, was there some leadership stuff there from Giannis? What role did he play in, in trying to help all of you bridge the gap from the end of, you know, the shutdown to now. You know, the one thing Giannis does always is he just leads by example. Um, He's always going to be the hardest worker, you know, whether he's physically in the gym or having to work out at home, 
he's always going to be the hardest worker. And no matter what, everyone's going to know that, you know, you can't come back into camp out of shape because Giannis is not going to be out of shape. Right. Um, and if your best player is coming in stronger, faster, bigger than he was, um, you know, four months before, uh, you've got to make sure you're in that type of shape. And so, you know, I, I, I think that's the biggest leadership thing, you know, with Giannis. Um, and I think he made sure that, um, and from Bud horse on down, make sure everyone was still focused. They were, that we knew that we had a goal for this um, and that we were going to come back and we wanted to win the championship and finish what we started. You know, again, like Giannis's preparation is unlike anyone that I've ever seen. I think that, you know, kind of, you know, Get, gets through the team and you know i think again you, you look at to how you know how great chris looks um he's looking even more explosive than he was um i think before the season and i think everyone just really uses time to get healthy and uh um rest their body a little bit and you know make sure that they're ready for this home stretch because this is a tough stretch you're playing every other day right um and that's you know that's that that's a grind and that's a, that's somewhere on your body um even though you're not traveling you're still playing every other day in high intensity games safe to say that, that you guys smile pretty wide every time he drops one of those threes that have that have now become part of his game i taught him how to make those threes wow man multifaceted yeah, yeah. owner developmental coach oh too, huh? god everything i told him he loves answering that part yeah i love i mean it's, it you know I've taught all the guys how to shoot. Okay, so, right. nice. You still got game, Mark? You get? I know Alex plays. You still get out and, and run with those guys? Um, I think I got game. I would tell you other people don't think so, but <laughs> you know, it, it, it's kind of moot what they think. Sure. No, look, I, I think the guys have stayed in shape, and it, it's a big deal. I mean, I think – but I also think it, the time away gave everybody time to rest their bodies, and I think for everybody. You know, everybody for LeBron – uh, for Kawhi, for Giannis, for everybody, um, and I think you're seeing it. You know, you're you're actually seeing uh, the vast majority of players uh, pretty healthy, which is actually really good. No, absolutely. And, and I think there's, see- and sorry, and I think there's one other thing. You know, like one of the things that we went, you know, that we were very serious about during the season is, you know, you try to maintain our minutes so that our guys are fresh for the playoffs. You know, you kind of feel like, oh, this sucks. You know, this all, you know, from a basketball standpoint, like this all happened and now kind of that preparation we did um, might be a little bit more moot than it was before. But I think what's great about our guys is they just, you know, they kind of just shrug that off and say, look, we're all starting in the same position. This is, you know, where all teams are. And, you know, like there's there's no excuses or anything. Um, this is now about going to win, going on to win the championship. And, you know, we'll take whatever hurdle uh, they come. And I think Giannis said it best. This might be one of the best championships that any team can win just because of the stakes and how difficult and um, unique this season has been. Well, and even on a personal level, and a lot of people are going through this, you know, Giannis had a new addition to his family and, you know, uh-huh. there's sacrifice on that front. And, you know, you have a mental health thing that, I, you know, organizations, all of them that are out in Orlando are having to be cognizant of not just the players, but staff and and it's just, it's a culture shock, right? And within that, it's, oh, by the way, please go play your best basketball. That's not easy. No, um, it's it, it's really tough. You know, again, I think it's a testament to the players for, you know, making that sacrifice and being willing to say like, hey, you know what? I'm willing to go spend, you know, two to three months away from my family. Um, you know, some of these guys have newborns. Some of these people, you know, might be having, you know, have young kids. 
Um, and I think it's, look, it's, it's a testament to them and, um, and, you know, their love of the game and their willingness to make that sacrifice to ensure that, uh, this season would be able to finish. Sure. So when I was there earlier this season, guys, um, and we kind of had a, a little bit of a laugh about it at the time is that perception on the outside coming in was that perhaps I would roll into Milwaukee and, and everybody would be, uh, you know, kind of with, uh, you know, biting off their fingernails about Giannis's future and being nervous about, you know, the fact that the best player in the NBA contractually is is only locked up through next season. You know, obviously we'll have a chance to sign an extension this summer. Um, and as as is mostly the case in these instances, you know, I didn't sense that uh, when I was there. It's, you know, a lot of confidence within the group, people being professionals and, and letting kind of the future unfold because, you know, there's only so much you can control at that time. So since then, more dominant basketball, more very coherent organizational planning, moves that have worked. Uh, you guys talked back then about we can only do what, what we can do, and it's going extremely well. That being said, the clock keeps ticking. We keep getting closer. Uh, from a human kind of standpoint, uh, you know, where are you at on that front when it comes to just the, the – I mean, you, you want this guy to be in a Bucks jersey for his entire life. Uh, you got to respect his process and let that time comes when it comes. But but how do you guys see that situation? I think it'll be fine. I mean, I think you know we've talked about this. I think when we have the ability to make him the offer, we will. Um, I don't think it's complicated. Um, Till then, um, let's focus on you know for us doing what we need to do as an organization, which we're doing. And I think for Giannis, it's for him to focus on you know, playing basketball and trying to win a championship. And um, I think I think we're both on the same page, but there's nothing we can do um, that we haven't done as an organization in trying to make the team better. Um, you know, I think if you sort of look at it, you know, Bud won Coach of the Year last year, and, he, you know, I just read that he got it again this year with Billy Donovan. From the coaches, yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, we're doing everything we can. I think we've got a A-plus organization, I think, you know, Giannis knows that. And when we have the opportunity to, you know, sit down and figure things out, we will. But, you know, till then you've got to sort of follow all the rules. And, you know, there's really no need to deal with it. There's nothing we can do today even if we wanted to. So um, we'll just wait till we can. Alex, how are you reading that room? Yeah, I mean, look, I think it's, you know, I, I think my dad is, you know, is uh, is right. Like, I think we've done what we can to try to put a championship caliber team out there. And look, that you want to know the best way to resign Giannis? We'll win a championship this year. Um, and that's what you know. I think our goal is. And um, you know, I think for us, it, it's also kind of what you asked about, like enjoying the journey. Um, you know, we can't control right now what you know what you know may or may not be in anyone's thoughts and. Know, two, three, four months from now, um, and you know the salary cap could be in flux. Like there, there are a lot of variables that I don't think that we can control. Um, and so right now, I think what we want to make sure we're doing, and we want, and I think Giannis has done an incredible job of being able to say, "I'm not talking about this. Um, I'm focused on winning a championship." And I think that really represents how we all feel, which is it's not something we're worried about right now because we're focused on winning a championship and that's the, that's the main goal right now. And I think that's our main focus. 
the, uh, the the public narrative going back to last year, of course, was, you know, ESPN drops that story saying finals are bust. And, and you know, and it's tough. What we do is inherently tough sometimes because you you sometimes wind up speaking for athletes um, in ways that, that maybe, you know, what am I trying to say, that, that might not, not necessarily miss the mark. But, it, you know, that came out and it was like, all right, I guess that's how Giannis feels. And that's certainly the perception as you get closer and you, you know, Alex, you kind of just hit on this. Like, is there kind of this shared sense of like, no, we're compartmentalizing everything. And, you know, that idea, those types of narratives, you just put them in the back pocket and, and just keep looking ahead and rolling forward. I think, look, that's, that's, that's the league. You know, the league is, uh, you know, there, there's always a ton of gossip, but there's always a ton of things going on. And I think, you know, and, but I can expound on this further, but I, I think for us and, you know, Giannis, again, represents this best. You know, we're focused on winning a championship this year. When we get to the offseason, you know, everyone knows what we're going to do. Um, and, you know, we feel good about, you know, the the team we've put on the floor and, you know, the organization that we've built. But we're that, that's just not a, you know, and it might be hard to hear and maybe even hard to believe, but that's not something that, like, day-to-day we're concerned about and worried about right now because, the number one focus and number one goal is to win a championship. Um, and I think that's, you know, from the top on down. Good stuff, gentlemen. I'll let you get out with this. Um, we, we started with the fun stuff of the Orlando experience and, and, you know, we still got a long ways to go. I'm looking at it here. You got six seeding games left, you know, and then a long playoff journey. Uh, I believe you guys are both, like you said, back home. And are, are you going to be commuting back and forth a bit? What's the plan when it comes to seeing this stuff in person? I think it's, um, well, we'll definitely go to the playoffs. I think the question is, um, as we go further into the playoffs, I think, um, you know, we'll try to enter the, the bubble, not the second-tier bubble, but the first-tier bubble. Okay. And stay down there with the team and the players because um, I do think it is a bit of a unique experience. It's something that we're going to have once in our life of everybody being together. You know, in one spot where, you know, I think as an organization, it's sort of one big family and we'll all be there. So um, I think we'll definitely go down for the first round and then probably enter the bubble somewhere around sort of the, you know, second or third round. Mark, have you gotten clarity from the league on on how they are going to handle that situation? That's news to me in terms of, of that option being available. Is that still a, a fluid conversation or is that something that, that you guys have gotten greenlighted on? No, I think, I think any of the owners have the right to be in the bubble. Okay. Um, but if you want to be in the bubble, um, you know, you've got to sort of follow the same protocols. And, you know, those protocols are, I think today, you know, you would have to take tests. If you go down there, you'd have to quarantine. You know, I don't know what the amount of time is. I think it's somewhere between five to ten days. Yeah. So, you know, and then the second you leave, um, it, it would have to restart again. So... I think um, I think for us, you know, the question is when do you want to go down there and in essence quarantine and do all the things you've got to do. Um, you know, I think things may hopefully be a little bit better as there's less teams because there's less risk. You know, there's less people. Yeah. But you know, I think for for me, um, I think the NBA has done an absolutely fabulous job um, with everything. You know, David Weiss, um, Adam, Rick Buchanan, sort of all the folks there. So. You know, I'm happy to follow what they say because so far they've been right on everything. Alex, you are you going to join in on on that uh, experience too? You think? 
<laughs> uh, if I'm allowed, I, I'd love to. Um, I think, again, it's hopefully a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Um, and again, like, you know, the NBA, and I think you've also got to give a ton of credit to Chris Paul and Michelle Robertson, the Players Association, for, you know, for, again, being uh, incredible leaders and partners and figuring this all out. But, yeah, I mean, if I'm if I'm able to and allowed to, I'd, I'd love to be there and help support the team and, um, you know, be a part of uh, what's hopefully a, uh, a championship run. Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate the time. I appreciate the perspective. Uh, you know, if, if y'all want to send that that plane near Sacramento after the first round, and I'll go ahead and hop on <laughs> and join you, that's fine too. Because <laughs> I'm not, I'm not looking forward to rolling through the Orlando airport with my uh, my face shield on. But you know, I, I lament. But I look for. Shoot, it sounds like I'll see you out there. So stay safe. Uh, keep enjoying your team. And and Thank again, you. thanks for the time, guys. Take care. Take care.